Let's just give you a quick tour of the front pages, uh, which I didn't get to do uh, a little bit earlier. We'll start with the Irish Mail on Sunday. Uh, really remarkable story there on the front page by Nicola Byrne, Valerie Hanley and Michael O'Farrell. Wrong body released in COVID error. A full regional review has been ordered at Mullingar Regional Hospital after the family of a person who died of COVID-19 was given the wrong body by the hospital mortuary last weekend. The family had no idea that the wrong remains were issued to them until shortly before the funeral service was due to start. It goes on to explain that because of the violence of the deceased, um, the deceased victims of the new coronavirus, they're put in a sealed body bag um, and basically hundreds of, of bodies are, are obviously there. Um, it says in this particular case, hundreds of mourners were already lining the streets of the deceased's hometown two metres apart when the hospital called to say it had released the wrong body the night before. The mistake was spotted just in time by a mortician when they noticed a bag bearing the deceased person's name, even though their remains had been signed out. The hearse was then diverted to Mullingar Hospital where the bodies were swapped. Uh, Really extraordinary stuff. I hope that's not more widespread. Uh, front page of the Sunday Times this morning half the nation to be texted in the next tested rather not texted to presume half the nation has been texted already uh, half the nation to be tested in the next six months the state is planning to test up to half the country's population for COVID-19 infection over the next six months as testing is increased to deal with 100,000 samples a week Killian de Gascoon who's the director of the National Virus Reference Laboratory said that because testing had focused on residential care facilities and healthcare workers in recent weeks we don't yet have a great handle on how much virus is in the community he expects this will now change because of the additional capacity for testing. We're targeting about six months of 100,000 tests a week and that's sort of our starting point, he said. That's 50% of the population or something. I think we'll definitely be looking towards maintaining the testing capacity up until that time. But obviously, he says, in three months we should know more about the infection and the level of immunity so it'll be kept under review. Uh, We also see in the front page of the Sunday Times uh, Kim Jong-un is back on the prowl but he's been seen with a mystery mark up his sleeve which has raised some questions about whether he was receiving some medical treatment while he was out of the limelight for the last couple of weeks. Front page of the Business Post. Business is set for €6.5 billion euro rescue package to save the economy from collapse. This is, of course, what we were talking about with Pascal Donahue just a few minutes ago. Businesses are set to get a €6.5 billion bailout package in a bid to stave off the risk of a complete collapse in the economy resulting from the pandemic. The package has received a, a broad welcome for business groups, but a crucial €2 billion euro credit guarantee fund can't be set up, it points out, until a new government is formed. And it also says there in a story by Ian Guider that banks have ruled out a third break on repayments, the three-month blank uh, mortgage and business loan payment break is being extended to six months but they say it won't go any further than that uh, and finally and possibly the story that will kick off our chat with Fiona Sheehan and Aoife Barry front page of the Sunday Independent who's in charge cracks appearing as tensions mount over eggs strategy in fact uh, Fiona Sheehan Ireland editor of Independent News and Media why don't you explain exactly the nature of the, the front page story there this morning yeah so the the Sunday Independent's uh, front page Hugh O'Connell and Maeve Sheehan are, are pointing out to doors differences of opinion that are emerging uh, between Dr. Tony Holland, the chief medical officer uh, and head of the National uh, Public Health Emergency Team and cabinet ministers in in terms of of how, uh, I suppose, the unfurling of the the lockdown uh, is being handled. And there are now uh, question marks arising around the the medical decisions that are being being taken as they conflict with the economic uh, and social uh, outlook that has been been put forward uh, by various ministers. So you saw this at, at, both at the cabinet meeting earlier on the week with a, a number of ministers diverging in terms of what needs to be done at this point, and also then in a conference call uh, with with Tony O'Hullahan, where at points there was open hostility uh, shown towards them. So it does strike one that there is an element of ministers wanting it both ways here on on the way into the lockdown. 
they want to be able to say, well, this is the, the medical advice and we have to abide by it. And, and this is what we're being told to do. So trust doctor. And then on the way out of it, they want to say, well, sure, what do those doctors know anyway? And and we know better. Well, the, they, the that, same thought struck me because it's almost as if the ministers have sort of fallen victim to their own spin because it, it's always been presented that NFET were the group making the decisions, that they were the ones deciding to implement lockdown or any sort of a ban on, on mass gatherings when in fact it was ministers who signed off on it. And I suppose the question is, if ministers are complaining about the advice they're given from NFET, they are not strictly bound to honour it. They could, you know, make tweaks to it to try and re- relieve some of the pressure on businesses if they want to, because ultimately it's ministers who are in charge, aren't they? Yeah, the NFET is, is in effect, and Dr Tony Holland is in effect uh, a subset of the, the, the Department of Health. It, it, it's simple as that. They are appointed by, by government. The ultimate decision-making authority uh, is with the government. So you had a situation... Uh, a fortnight ago where Simon Harris tells the Sunday Independent that he has abided by everything that he has been asked to do by Enfit and he felt that the public would be reassured in that, that these decisions and, and the advice was coming uh, from medical experts rather than, as he put it, a 33-year-old from Wicklow. But I suppose the the, the problem uh, that's, that's, that has firmly been emerging uh, over over recent weeks is the accountability and the transparency at, attached to, to these decisions. It's taken up today again by Sarah McInerney in the Sunday Times, uh, Elaine Byrne uh, in the Sunday Business Post, as well as the Sunday Independence front mm. page. Who exactly is on Infit? Who is and isn't represented on it? How do they how do they come to their decisions? How is this then re- relayed to government? Why are there not uh, adequate minutes? So that that's all coming in, into the fray. And I suppose that that really did start a couple of weeks ago around the nursing homes issue, uh, where it it was seen that the, the public health response uh, to the to the infection rates in nursing homes was quite slow and that it wasn't adequate. And it has kind of built there uh, gradually over recent weeks, both in terms of doll exchanges and otherwise. I mean, mm-hmm. Alan Kelly, the leader of the Labour Party, asked uh, over 10 days ago now, you know, where are the minutes of the meetings? Who's at the meetings? What's been said? How are decisions been arrived at? And he still hasn't got an answer to his question because the minutes of the meetings uh, are not fully up up to date yet. So in the midst of uh, a public health emergency like this, where extraordinary decisions have been taken, as you've just discussed uh, with, with Pascal Donahue, that go beyond the health sphere mm. there does seem to be this lack of of, of accountability there uh, Let's bring in Aoife Barry Assistant News Editor of the Journal.ie Aoife you wanted to follow up on that point Yeah I just thought related to that what was interesting if you go to the Business Post they have uh, the results of a poll a Red Sea poll that they did today and it's interesting to kind of um, look at that in contrast to what we're talking about there or kind of compare and contrast it to the issues around transparency and kind of how happy people are around decisions that are being made because obviously we know like you were just saying that some ministers are very unhappy about some of the decisions being made and that they're unhappy with with Tony Holohan we know as well obviously that that there's going to be like a three week kind of between period between the phases but that Neffet wanted that to be four weeks so there's definitely been some kind of pushback against them but if, if you look at the poll the they, it really shows some interesting stuff so for example if you compare kind of the health concerns versus the economic concerns because obviously you know what we see with some of the ministers that are concerned about things there there are definitely some economic kind of issues that they're worried about mm. but 75% of the people who were polled were more concerned about the health concerns they said they, the health concerns were more important than economic concerns as well and then if you look at you know how happy people are about social 
distancing measures and all the other restrictions, it says 75% of those people polled were happy to have those social distancing measures and other restrictions continue. Now, this poll was done between the 23rd and the 29th of April, so before Hmm. the most recent announcement but I just thought it was interesting because it's good to get a snapshot I suppose of how like the the citizens how the people living in Ireland who aren't making those decisions are feeling because you know we constantly have these moments where we're saying oh is there more traffic on the roads are people pushing back or how unhappy are people we've seen recent court cases where there's people gathered outside the court and big groups who are unhappy with this with what's going on too mm-hmm. so to look at that poll as some sort of a snapshot of those people I think does show that overall there is you know people are happy to kind of abide by the public health measures with the idea of this is helping people in the long run and will hopefully help Ireland open up quicker than perhaps some might have thought it would have. Um, Fiona, on that point of the poll, I know that there's a few days of a lag and maybe attitudes change in the meantime, but if ministers are so concerned around the effect on, on enterprise and business, might they in fact be slightly out of tune with the public because the public realise that there's not much point having an economy if everyone is physically unhealthy and trying to engage with it? Yeah, so the, I think it's been emphasised by everybody, even by Pascal Luna, who would, would, would acknowledge uh, as the Minister of Finance that, that public health uh, is, the, is the top priority. It, I suppose what's coming into conflict now is the, the balance uh, between the two and, and the alternative uh, options of, of, um, of emerging from, from a, a lockdown. I suppose what, what you're, you're seeing reflected in the opinion, Paul, is, is the, the trust in the medical advice uh, that, that is, is coming uh, across here. And that, that does go back to that, that transparency issue. Um, you have a, a, a caretaker government in, in, in charge, not some of them not even uh, elected, and the the public have become acquainted, I suppose, now uh, with with seeing that the medical experts coming out, uh, giving in, informed decisions, uh, where other ministers just seem to be kind of interested in sounding off, expressing their own their own views as but- another. Boo boo by Simon Harris highlighted in the in the Sunday Times today. This uh, is about the, the testing he, capacity. Yeah, his statement that there was going to be fifteen thousand tests done a day. That seems to be that that he misunderstood uh, what he was being being told and and shouldn't have said that. So you're seeing, you know, al- although there is a, a focus uh, on the emergence from the the lockdown today, there's also still a, a, a lingering uh, spotlight being put. Uh, on the, the the testing arrangements, that's both Mark Ty uh, in the Sunday Times and also Eilish Hanlon uh, in the in the Sunday Independent, honing in on like where exactly are we on all those uh, promises that that mm. were being made in terms of that capacity. And again, you'd have to say that does go back to the transparency issue. We're still not being given the full picture on what exactly is going on there in terms of the interaction between uh, Nefesh, the the Department of Health. Uh, and the HSE. It's touched on in, in Sunday Independence today, reflected again uh, last week in the Irish Times about letters being exchanged uh, between the, the HSE and, and the Department of Health mm-hmm. around the testing issue. And told the issue there is that not just a lack of consultation, but concerns in the HSE about their ability to sustainably do the level of testing that is required. 
when uh, other areas return to some semblance of normality yeah, it's, and suddenly it's, you don't have all the ambulances available and you don't have all the civil servants well, to the, do the, the contact the tracing. There are definitely points that need to be pulled up because we had Killian Degoskin on this show about three weeks ago and he said that within a fortnight of that point that we'd have the capacity to get through 15,000 tests a day and that wasn't when there was any concern about reagent or anything else of the likes. He suggested uh, that if it wasn't taken up it was because, or rather Simon Harris suggested that if that capacity wasn't taken up it was because there wasn't actually a demand for it. Um, if you wanted to come back yeah, it was just just was with regard to the point there about Simon Harris um, and kind of the questions around maybe sometimes some some things are said that maybe it turns out that, you know, it was kind of a slip of the tongue or whatever. And it just kind of made me think about the Leah Bradker interview on the late late on Friday night and kind of the example, I suppose, of our politicians, the, I suppose, the pressure they're under to come up with a lot of information on the spot, which is what they're obviously trying to do. But how, you know, his kind of performance and the fact he took out the, the, the list and the plan and everything out of the pocket while being interviewed by Ryan Tuberty, that was taken in some Okay. Uh, Aoife, we're going to come back to you. I think we're having a bit of problems with your connection. We're going to try and reboot you and see if we can get some of those gremlins off the line. But I think, Fiona, on the point she was making was the pressure that Leo Varadkar felt he may have been under. I think there's some people who think they would rather see him pull an A3 page out of his pocket if it meant that he gave the correct information rather than misleading people. But what, what I was struck by on the late late was that Leo Varadkar announced, for example, that if there was to be an All-Ireland, it might have to be behind closed doors, even though... Phase 5 seemed to open the prospect of games happening, albeit with a smaller, more spaced out attendance. And he also talked about how some items which are currently in Phase 4 or 5 now could be brought forward to Phases 2 or 3 in future. And it struck me that, you know, if the point of the roadmap was to give you at least some amount of concrete certainty, that as soon as the certainty was coming out, it was disappearing again. Yeah, you could have Mead having an interest in the All-Ireland final this year, Gavin, because the match could be played in Park Talton or somewhere like that. I hadn't brewed that out anyway. Yeah, a a smaller venue. But yeah, it it did seem a little bit off the top of the head kind of stuff going on there in in terms of an imbalance between uh, what his... What his A3 sheet was, was saying and what, what he himself was saying and then the lack of consultation with the actual stakeholder organisation which will uh, have, to, have to decide it. Uh, same as we were seeing on, on the, the Leaving Cert uh, front in terms of you know, our schools going back or, or not before the Leaving Cert, the Taoiseach saying one thing, the Health Minister saying another. Generally speaking, you'd have to say Leo Radker's interview in the Late Late Show, fine, but if there's any criticism of it, he brought that on himself because he was the one who decided he was going to make his state of a nation. He wasn't going to take questions in terms of teasing out the minute mm-hmm. of it straight away. He was going to go for the big box office uh, showbiz audience on, on the Late Late Show. So therefore, you know, you are going to, to come under... Uh, a level of scrutiny in in terms of what exactly you're you're coming out with there, if that's the route that that you have taken, sure. as opposed to trying to 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 go down a a, a different way of of being scrutinised mm. uh, uh, on matters. You're saying that as well, though. I suppose, uh, uh, for example, uh, Owen Harris uh, in the in the Sunday Independent today saying that you know it it suits Leo Varadkar for 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 these matters. Uh, to continue on on the basis that well you know he, he remains the, the Taoiseach uh, he remains the person who is who is in the the spotlight mm. uh, all of the time so you know there's a there's another uh, narrative out there as well I'm not sure if everyone would appreciate the spotlight that he's under right now uh, we've managed to get the gremlins off Aoife's line Aoife the point that you were trying to make there before we lost you 
Yeah, I'm sure you. I'm sure you probably covered most of it there. But I just, you know, was saying with regard to Lee Radka's appearance on, on the Late Late Show. I mean, if you look at it, you, you could have done a lot better by having a panel on there, by having someone who tends to be a bit kind of better when he's, um, you know, speaking to people doing Q and A. Simon Harris. He would have been a really, you know, handy person to have next to Lee Radka and putting on, you know, I suppose a panel of stronger people rather than maybe one person who at the time wasn't able to maybe handle the the back and forth of of that of that Q and A. And I suppose slightly related to that, it was. I noted that John Downing in the Indo was talking about how in the last crash we were hanging on the words of economists and now we're hanging on every word that public health experts have to say. And it's interesting to see the kind of the shift in who we're turning to when we're looking to the people who are going to be the experts and who are telling us how we should do the next things we need to do during this global crisis. Mm, it's fascinating that we did have the emergence of celebrity economists 10 to 15 yeah. years ago. We're going to have celebrity <laughs> epidemiologists when we're finished with all of this. Fionn, it's beginning to feel a bit like Groundhog Day for me because I think this is the fifth day in a row in which one of the morning headlines has been that the Green Party will meet to consider their stance on government formation and whether to enter full talks. Uh, do you think what you've heard from Pascal Dunhu this morning will do anything to reassure them or is there any reassurance they could really be given at this point? I, I think what you're, you're starting to see um, in the analysis of the, the Green Party and their, their deliberations uh, is the word election coming into the, to, to the equation uh, in that you know, if if the Greens decide not to go down the route uh, of going into government, then that would appear to be a a, a more likely uh, outcome uh, at at this point. The, the the difficulty, I suppose, with with the Green Party at at this point is they want Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to sign up to what is a a very detailed and and comprehensive and transformative policy. Uh, of reducing our, our our greenhouse gas uh, emissions by pretty much more more than double than what what mm. we're looking at doing uh, at the moment. And Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are saying, yeah, we're look, we're not opposed to that. In fact, in principle, we're we're, we're pretty much in in favour of it. But we want to know what exactly it entails. And the Greens don't really have an answer to that because there is no direct one route towards doing this. It's not a very straightforward policy. There's a wide variety. Uh, of measures that that you can and implement at various different costs, and it it will have uh, impacts across a whole range of different sectors. What is curious and what ultimately may well bounce back uh, on the Green Party here is if they fail to even sit down with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to try and, as was put it during the week, tease out what exactly it entails, uh, instead deciding, no, they won't sign up to it, we don't trust them, uh, so therefore we're not going to enter talks with them. They're not a, a, a they're, they're not so much a, a, a small, uh, obscure party anymore. They are the fourth largest party in the doll. They're the largest of the, the smaller entities. Even if you don't go down the route of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, uh, let's say things took a dramatic turn and it became Sinn Féin and, and Fianna Fáil uh, in, in this position, you'd still most likely need the Green Party to, to sign up uh, at that point. So they are in a very difficult conundrum uh, at the moment, but the failure to actually go into talks themselves uh, is is quite striking. And of the parties who wouldn't fancy a, a, a general election, 
you'd have to say second only to Fianna Fáil would be the, be the Green Party the way things are going at the moment. I have a thesis uh, which I outlined in News Talk Breakfast this morning and I wonder whether you agree that part of the, the slow pace of the Greens getting involved in these talks is that Eamon Ryan, although quite clearly personally very enthusiastic about bringing the Greens into government and understanding that you don't get anything done unless you're in government, has yet to kind of formally sell the idea within the parliamentary party. He's trying to build a consensus, but not, it appears, actively trying to steer the discussion that way. And as a result, there's nobody really within the parliamentary party who's actually trying to champion the idea of going in. Yeah, and it, it would appear that this this was this is part of his his style, I suppose. He wants um, people to, to sit down around a table and and discuss things uh, and so on. And it's part of if that was part of his approach uh, towards the coalition talks in the land of BC before coronavirus mm. hit. They were doing the same thing inside an uh, agriculture house uh, next door to, to Leinster House, where they were sitting around a table trying to go through uh, various different policies. So I suppose. What's 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 been looked at for from him uh, across the table uh, is what Albert Reynolds would say, you know, a, a one pager. Just what exactly is it that you're looking to to do here across every sector in order to achieve uh, the seven percent, and then you can discuss that. I mean, there are varying estimates of of how much exactly this is going to cost, and there's obviously going to be some pushback. Uh, from parties who are not as committed to, the, to these policies uh, to actually um, be able to say to, to their own base, no, this is, is is the right thing to do, as opposed to just scaremongering about, you know, they're, they're going to wreck farming and so on and so forth. A lot of what the Green Party are proposing actually makes a lot of sense. If anything, in, in the current crisis in which we are in, the focus on the Green Party and their internal machinations around whether or not they will or won't talk about talking to go into government mm. uh, means that they're not being included in, in the debate that is required about the, the future of the, of the country, uh, both in the immediate term and long term, in terms of our, our living spaces, uh, development of communities, access and interaction with, with the environment, which everybody is now uh, feeling that, that bit more, yeah. given that we're all confined within our, our two kilometre limit and looking at you know how we use the space within our own houses. And that's where the Green Party really could have come to the fore in this one. And that's a great pity that they've lost out on that. I was just going to say that it's interesting that all the discussion is on the Green Party, of course, when, uh, you know, although they are smaller parties and couldn't guarantee a majority, uh, and Aoife Barry, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, that the, the Labour Party and the Social Democrats aren't taking nearly as much of the blame. Nobody is holding them responsible for the urgent formation of a government. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of makes you wonder about the kind of viewpoints then of the, the varying parties when you have the focus put on, on the Greens. And is that the sense that there's kind of the feeling that they can't really get themselves together? Is it like the stereotype that people have about kind of that they can't really kind of agree on things? We know that the Green Party is divided within itself um, about these kind of party talks with uh, the two other parties. So like, you know, is the question about how they're seen or is, is, the, is it about actually how they are organizing things and doing things now which like you said involves days of talks and people wondering are they going to actually come up with some sort of decision does it indicate that they're slow at making decisions does it indicate that they're slightly off base on things that we've seen in over the past few months pre-covid you know um discussions about reintroducing wolves and things like that so you know you see like these discussions around the green party being slightly out of touch on things when as you as finon just said there the things that they're trying to get through, that the seven percent um, reduction in the emissions, etc., are these massively important things for Ireland and for the future of Ireland. So, 
sometimes I think we see the conversation around the Greens getting caught up on these, you know, you know, unusual and weird things about them and actually, you know, tearing us away from the bigger things that they stand for. But like, is that the Green Party's fault or is it the, the chatter around the Green Party's mm. fault around that? Because you're right, we have, I mean, I'm trying to think of when the last time I heard something about Labour or Social Democrats, all that chat has died down over the last week or two, you know? Uh, before we finish, I do want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about the uh, controversy such as it is surrounding uh, normal people. The 12-part series, which is uh, debuted this week on RT and on BBC One. And Aoife, I know you're you're a very keen culture watcher, but it, it strikes me that there's an awful lot being written that this is the most perfect publicity for a TV series when, okay, granted, yes, there was uh, a live line, which was quite infamous now earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. But before that... RT had a grand total of 33 complaints around the nudity and sexual scenes inside the show, which is not a huge amount for a show that's been watched by so many hundreds of thousands of people. But I'd imagine if you were asking people whether they approved the depiction of sex there, you'd have far higher than 33 people saying that it's actually a very sensitive portrayal. Yeah, completely. And even if you listen to the Lifeline discussion, like the people who were complaining, the conservative voices were totally in the minority. There were more people ringing in saying, actually, I think this is a good idea. And even if you listen to the tone of how Joe Duffy dealt with the the questions um, that he was asking the people, he was kind of gently steering them towards like, listen, you're, you know, you know, you're kind of not on the, in the majority here. And he was steering people away from bringing up topics that didn't really have anything to do with a normal people, but that actually might have been part of a discussion around something similar similar like you know five or six years ago so it's I think the whole thing has been such a great kind of look at how things have changed in Ireland I mean I had I had a piece there on the journal.ie mm. yesterday about it where um I spoke to a couple of people about how it deals with consent and sexuality you know including the National Women's Council and Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and they wholeheartedly praised the depiction of sex and consent in it and just said it really shows you know enthusiastic consent and that's exactly what we've been trying to put across and I chatted to Donald Clark as well from the Irish Times about how you know TV and film in Ireland and, and censorship has changed over the years and he was talking about a TV show called The Spike in 1978 where a nude woman appeared in one of the scenes she, she was in the scene um, she was supposed to be in a life drawing class and um, that led to it was chatted about in the doll it was there was absolute uproar over it to the point where the series was cancelled and it wasn't really until about 2003 when we got the, the new film censor in that things started to change in Ireland loosened up and allowed you know 18 certificates on films um, like Nine Songs by Michael Ritter Winterbottom, which showed actual real life sex scenes in it, that that would not have been allowed to be shown in Ireland before. But it was given, you know, it was given guidance and given that eighteen certificate. So normal people is just a continuation of, you know, Ireland's growing up and becoming more open. And it's also a really good example of really good business being done by Element Picture pictures as well who have worked with Hulu and BBC and mm. RTE in putting it together so you literally have an international audience if you go to any culture site from the US they are raving about normal people and that's what we want to see more more eyes on Irish Irish TV shows and Irish directors like Lenny Abrahamson as well and stars so it's it's a really positive story I think all around I think the minority of people who were complaining on Liveline would want to avert their eyes for the latest episodes about Sweden because I've seen the whole thing on the iPlayer and they might want to, to find something else to tune into for, for those yeah. shows it's another level compared to what they've already seen I think in the first it, it certainly is so at least, at least they've <laughs> been warned uh, guys I'm going to let you yeah. go there we're completely out of time thanks very much for joining me this morning that's Fiona Sheehan the Ireland editor with Independent News and Media and Aoife Barry Assistant News Editor of the Journal.ie.